This morning we're reading out of Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so, you know, all throughout chapter 15, right before this, Jesus is primarily in Gentile territory where there's not many Jews. And he's, he's performing all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. Right? He feeds the crowd of 4,000. Sick people are being healed. Demons are being cast out. And then he comes to the Pharisees and they say, yeah, 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 but prove to us that you're the Messiah. Because all those other things you did, we don't care. Just prove to us specifically that you are who you say you are. Now, they're not meaning to actually confirm his identity. They're wanting to, to test him, to catch him out in a lie. And, you know, Pharisees are, are essentially what we would call rabbis today. They're the people who lead the synagogues in the little towns throughout the countryside they're educated, um, they know the law well, they've got the Torah memorized. The Sadducees are the temple priests, and the two groups don't like each other. They're at odds all the time because the, the temple priests, the Sadducees, everyone kind of sees them as Roman collaborators. They've made appeasements to the Romans. They, they're the ones who let the invaders come in and rule us, whereas the rabbis are like the men of the people, right? They're the ones who resist. So the two groups don't like each other. The only thing they have in common is they also, neither one of them likes Jesus, right? They're united by the fact that they don't like this guy. And so they're both out there to test him and to catch him out, to, to prove that he's not who he says he is. And so they ask him for a sign from heaven, completely ignoring all the other signs that have already happened. And so the rebuke that Jesus offers is that they're completely missing what God is up to. Right? The signs are obvious. It's impossible to miss them. The sick are being healed. The demons are being cast out. Dead people are being brought back to life. So how do they miss these signs? Well, the answer is they don't want to see them. It's not that they can't see them. It's that they are choosing not to. They are certain that they've got it all figured out. And they won't allow anything to challenge that certainty. In reality, what they are is afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid that they're wrong. They're afraid of what God might 
ask of them. See, as long as they can just focus on their handy list of rules, they feel like they're in charge. They feel as if they're in control. And everything about Jesus' life, his ministry, his message, is that actually God is in control, and quite often you're just along for the ride. And that ride might just take you somewhere you don't want to go. The signs of the times were crystal clear. The sick were being healed. The demons were being cast out of Israel. The dead were being raised. The poor were being fed. There could be no doubt to anybody who had studied the scriptures of ancient Israel that the king had come, the Messiah was here, the fulfillment of God's covenant with Israel was at hand. And the Pharisees, along with the temple priests, couldn't accept it. Because it meant the end of everything that they had built their lives around. It meant an end to the temple. It meant an end to the the status of the Jewish people as God's chosen people. It even meant an end to their homeland being the promised land. Because all of that is being changed through the work of Jesus. And so they shut their eyes, they plug their ears, and they find any excuse they can to label him a blasphemer. And in doing so, they intentionally blind themselves to all of the signs that God was at work. If they just opened their eyes to see, they would have known. Which means we have to ask ourselves, what are the signs of our times and what are we missing? Where are we missing the signs that God is at work in the world today? And I can think of a few really clear, obvious ones. So thinking back to the pandemic we all just lived through, um, the last time there was a major pandemic like that was the Spanish flu. And in that pandemic, there was no effective vaccine. There was no real effective treatment. You just sort of isolated people to limit the spread and, and then treated the symptoms and hoped for the best. And even in the places that had access to advanced medical care, what happened is, is they, they hunkered down, they took care of their own, and they left everyone else to fend for themselves. This time was different. This time, someone came up with a vaccine. And whatever you think about the effectiveness of the vaccine is actually not relevant to this point. Because what happened is amazing. Someone made a vaccine, and then they started giving it away for free. They started giving it to people who needed it without charging them for it. All around the world, millions of people received a vaccine to protect them from that virus that they didn't have to pay for. Do you have any idea how unprecedented that is in human history? It has literally never happened before. With one possible exception. If you can think back to 2003, President George Bush launched the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, a huge, massive program designed to curtail the AIDS epidemic, primarily in Africa. It's still ongoing. That program still exists. And to date, uh, there's been about $90 billion spent on it, and 20 million lives have been saved. It is by far the most successful public health program in human history. Now think about this. The wealthiest, most powerful nation in the world spent $90 billion to save the lives of millions of people who were not citizens of that nation. 
That has never happened at any other time in world history. Within the last 20 years, twice, the most powerful, wealthiest people in the world have gone out of their way to save the lives largely of the poorest people in the world with no strings attached. Never before in human history has that happened. Never, not once. My friends, a hundred years ago, it's not just that it wasn't possible, it was inconceivable. That is a sign that God is at work in the world today. Here's another sign that God's at work in the world. Got a video. You may have seen this already, but it's worth watching again. Finally tonight, meet the seller violinist who is lifting people with music. Far from the ornate stages she would typically play on, Vera Tovchunk now performs in the midst of dust and debris from the basement of her apartment building in Kharkiv, where she and several other residents have been seeking shelter since the attacks on Ukraine began. I began to play for my neighbors and then for my friends. I loaded video to internet and they saw me playing and she and they uh, began to write me. Dubbed the seller violinist, Vera soon went viral. From Vivaldi to Tchaikovsky, Vera transports listeners to another place, if only for a few minutes. Thousands around the world now tune in to hear her bunker recitals, offering a bit of a balm for the brokenhearted. My video helps them uh, to be not so alone, to feel more strength, to be able to distract for several minutes and not to think about war, to think about something better. Still trying to give people here reason to smile. <laughs> so here's this woman in the middle of a war zone sheltering in the basement of her building with bombs and artillery shells detonating around them. Scared children in the room with her because you can see a child in that video. And her response is to break out the violin and bring a little light and joy into the midst of their misery as they huddle in the darkness. And my friends, that too is a sign that God is still at work in the world we live in. That in the midst of all the violence and the bloodshed and the terror, here's this person bringing light and joy to the darkness. <clears throat> the next one hits a little closer to home. Um, there's a term that is used by statisticians and researchers called a perception gap, meaning um, the gap between how you perceive the world to be and the gap and how it really is. So as an example, um, in general, we, we think that about 55% of the country holds some sort of extremist political view. That's the general assumption. But in reality, all the data shows less than 30% of the country holds any kind of extremist view. It's a 25-point gap. Um, some specific examples, by the way. So people who identify as Democrats tend to assume that only about 50% of Republicans still believe that racism exists in the United States. 
In reality, about 78% of Republicans still believe that racism exists in the United States. It's a 28-point gap. Democrats assume less than 50% of Republicans believe that sexism is still a problem, when actually uh, just about 70% of Republicans still believe that sexism is a problem. Uh, and for gun control, the number is about the same. Democrats assume that less than 50% of Republicans believe that we need some sort of stricter form of gun, gun control. It's actually a bit over 70% who believe that we need a stricter form of gun control. On the other side, <coughs> Republicans believe only about 45% of Democrats think that our police officers are, by and large, good people. In actuality, just over 80% of Democrats think that most of our police officers are good people. Republicans tend to believe that about 70% of Democrats favor completely open borders with no control at all. It's actually less than 30% of Democrats who think that. <clears throat> uh, Republicans believe that only about 40% of Democrats believe in the right to bear arms, when actually about 65% of Democrats believe that law-abiding citizens should have the right to bear arms. Uh, Republicans believe that about 70% of Democrats would like to turn the United States into a socialist nation. It's less than 40% of Democrats who are in favor of socialism. And all that tells you that even though we still have differences, we are a lot less divided than we think we are. We have a lot more in common than we think we do. We see eye to eye on the major issues much more than we tend to think we do. But we allow ourselves to be misled, to hate, to close ourselves off to the other side. And on the one hand, that's a sign of our fallen nature, that we're more inclined to believe that than to believe that we might have something in common. But on the other hand, it also tells us that our biggest problems, the things that tend to cause the most anxiety amongst our particular culture, those big problems are a lot smaller than we actually think they are. It's not as bad as we think it is. And that, too, is a sign that God is still at work in the world. Now, these are all high-level things affecting you know, the nation and the globe and the whole culture. But there's also things that affect you personally, the signs of the times in your personal life. And like the Pharisees, we tend to miss them more often than not. And the problem is not that God is not at work or that God is not speaking, because God is always speaking to you. He never stops. He's like the annoying person you get seated next to on a flight who will not shut up the whole time, right? I'm sorry. And if you're like me, what do you do? You like open a book, you put in headphones, you do everything you can to signal to this person that you don't want to talk to them. Sometimes, though, we do the same thing to God. We do everything we can to tune him out, to signal to God that we're not listening. And over time, as we do that, our ability to hear him actually atrophies. We lose the skill set you need to sit quietly and listen for the small, still voice of God. And if you want to discern the signs of the times in your personal life, you're going to have to slow down and quiet down. So instead of for instance, rushing through your daily Bible reading and then checking it off your to-do list. You might need to take your time. Read it slowly. Maybe read it twice or even three times. And then think about what words are jumping out at you. 
what phrase keeps drawing your eye. And then take a few minutes, set a timer even if you want, and just sit in silence and think about why it is those words stuck out to you. What could God be trying to tell you by drawing your eye to that phrase over and over again? And then ask God to show you how to apply those words to your daily life. You may also want to ask yourself if your faith is even a priority or if the, the faith of your children or your family is a priority. And, and maybe this is the year to make that your top priority. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, it already is, right? But maybe you think that your discipleship, your children's discipleship is already top of the list, but you might want to think twice. Because if you're like most people, you will fill your time with all kinds of things that are not God. And you'll fill your family's things with all, their time will be filled with all kinds of things that are not God. And ask yourself, when was the last time your family prayed together that wasn't just a brief prayer before a meal? If you don't have a family at home, ask yourself, when was the last time you and your friends prayed together that wasn't just a brief prayer before a meal? When was the last time you took an entire day off to do nothing but rest and be in the presence of God? Or do you feel compelled to fill your free time with a list of to-dos? When was the last time you chose church or Bible study over something else? If you have kids, when was the last time that you took your kids to church instead of taking them to an athletic event or an academic competition or a social event? Because i got to tell you, I hear all the time from parents, some of whom are parents of my friends who are my age, that they don't understand why when their kids left home, they also left the faith. And there's all kinds of reasons, but more often than not, it's as simple as you made it clear to them it wasn't a priority. You spend years and years and years telling them their only hope for a good future is to get into the best possible school to get a good education and get a good job. And the flip side of that message is, if that's their only hope, then their hope isn't in Jesus. If they can put all their hopes into college and education and a good job, what use do they have for God? And if you don't have kids in the house, the question still applies. What is your hope for the future? Is it Jesus or a well-funded retirement account? And I'm saying this as someone who is absolutely guilty of getting those two mixed up. And I'm saying this as someone whose kid is not yet old enough to have things competing for her time. And I know that I joke with people that she's not allowed to have hobbies and interests. Um, and she's not, but one day she'll break that rule anyway, and I'll have to figure out how to balance this myself. I'm not saying this as someone who's got it all figured out, but these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Are we actually prioritizing the most important thing? And if not, Maybe this is the perfect time to change that. Whether you have kids at home, whether you don't, whether you've never had kids or simply don't want any, whether you just have a bunch of friends as adults, the same thing holds true. Most of us are more like the Pharisees than like the disciples. We do this thing when we read the Bible, uh, particularly the Gospels, where we, we like imagine ourselves in the story and in, this, in, our, in our heads, we're standing next to Jesus, Right? On his side, going, yeah, you tell him, Jesus, get that guy, right? Like, we think we're on his side. But if you pay attention, his harshest words, his strongest critiques are always reserved for the religious faithful. 
My friends, he is talking to us. More often than not, we're the people he is warning. We're the people he's rebuking. And we should take that to heart. Because like the Pharisees, all too often, we're afraid to let God out of the box. We want to keep him in the box. We want to keep God in what we think is his proper place. He can help us when we need help. He can be in our church. But we don't want to give him control over anything else. We're afraid of what will happen when we do. So God is always speaking. God is always at work in the world. We can see this in the signs of our times. A hundred years ago, it was unthinkable that the most powerful nation in the world, the modern equivalent, the closest modern equivalent to the Roman Empire, would freely give out medicine to people who need it. Unthinkable a hundred years ago. God is at work in the world. And the amazing thing is, it doesn't actually matter if you believe in him or not. He's still at work. All throughout Jesus' life, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, he's feeding the hungry, performs miracle after miracle, and anyone willing to see it can see it. The only people who don't are the people who think they know better, who willingly close themselves off to seeing what he's doing, who assume that God could never use that guy. But his life is full of the signs of the times. And just as his life is full of the signs that God is up to something, our lives are full of it too. God is at work in the world constantly. He never stops. And he never lets anyone stand in the way of his purposes. You'll notice when you read throughout the Bible, God is constantly using people who don't believe in him to fulfill his purposes in the world. All the time. Even when they think they are actively standing in his way, they're not up to and including the men who sentenced Jesus to death and nail him to the cross. God is at work in the world so often in ways that are subtle, that are hard to pick out, that aren't coming with, you know, big wondrous flashes of lightning from the heavens, but something simple. I don't know. I don't know if the violinist in Ukraine is a woman of faith, but I do know God is using her. If you want to close your eyes and ears and heart and mind to God's work, very often he's content to let you continue in your blindness. But if you're willing, if, if you will open yourself up to what God is doing, you'll see the signs and the wonders that he's performing all around you, in you, and through you. And so I'm challenging you all to do two things. First, I'm challenging you to slow down and quiet down. As you read the Bible, read it slowly. Contemplate what you're reading. Let the words of God actually sink into you and think about what, what words are jumping out, what your mind is being drawn to, and then wonder why. Why is God directing my attention to this word or to that phrase? Try and figure out if this 
is still the primary means through which God speaks to us. We have to actually pay attention to it. It doesn't behoove us to just skim through it as quickly as possible and mark it off our to-do list. If God is speaking to us, we ought to sit with it a while and go through it slowly and think about it. And then the second thing is this. I'm challenging you not to let anything take priority over Jesus. Not in your life, not in your family's life. He is more important than anything else. And he's better than anything else. The signs, my friends, are all around us. He is at work in the world, all over the world, bringing about his purposes for good. Our problems are not as big as we think they are. And our God is far bigger than we think he is. And those, my friends, are the signs of the times. Don't miss them. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.